good morning. What a great song. No name like Jesus. Jesus, the creator. Jesus, almighty. Um, just a little spoiler alert for today's sermon. I'll be talking about Jesus, okay? In case you didn't know that. We're going to be in the book of John. John is uh, right now my favorite book in the Bible. Um, some of you kind of get what I'm saying because every time I'm in a book, I say that's my favorite book. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times people will ask me, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And I would try to answer it honestly. You know, you know Romans, but then, no, actually it's Acts. Or, and it, really, my favorite book of the Bible always really winds up being the book that I'm reading at the time. And so right now, my favorite book is John. Um, also, First Peter, because I'm doing my own personal study in First Peter, so you know maybe later today, First Peter is going to be my favorite book. But John, actually, uh, I will say it is my favorite book of the Bible right now because that's the one we're going to be in, and and I and I say that somewhat humor, humor, not listlessly, humorously, but it's true. And when I think of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. To me, actually, John does stand out. Now, Matthew stands out in some ways, and, and Mark and Luke stand out in other ways, but, but John, to me, is actually, can I say my favorite gospel? Maybe so. Now, if I'm reading Mark, then Mark's my favorite, but, but John is actually a very special gospel. Matthew was written most specifically to the Jews. That doesn't mean that we as Gentiles can't get a lot out of it. That's not what I'm saying, but he wrote that specifically for the Jews. Mark for the uh, Romans, and Luke mostly for the Greek audience. Granted, Romans can get things out of the Greek version, Greek out of the, it, we can all get a lot out of it. But John wrote it, it seems, for everyone to understand. And, and from the very beginning of the book, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, 1, he makes that very clear, the way he starts it off. So John is also special in a sense that a lot of times when we have a, a new believer a lot of us will send them to the book of John. Hey, go read the book of John. And the reason we do that is because the book of John, in a very excellent way, introduces Jesus. And, and the sermon title today is Meet Jesus. The sermon topic that Pastor Clint, I kind of stole it from him, because the whole book of John, this is called Meet Jesus. Because the book of John introduces Jesus Christ to the world. This is who the Savior is. And from the very beginning, which the book starts in the beginning, which is no better place to start. He introduces Jesus Christ, who he is. And it's, it's just a fantastic, a fantastic uh, a book. So yes, right now it is my favorite book. So let's go ahead and just turn into John chapter 1, verse 1, and start there. What a good place to start. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things made were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, from the start here, John makes a gigantic claim, right? He says, hey, Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. Come meet Jesus. He's God. I mean, that's a humongous claim to make. Uh, and, and we also see that that, John 1, 1 sounds very familiar. Does anybody, does it ring from another verse in the Bible somewhere in the beginning? Genesis 1, 1, absolutely. That was not an accident. That was a very purposeful thing. There's a version of the Jewish Bible made about 300 years before Christ was born called the Septuagint version because most of the people in the, that part of the world didn't really speak Hebrew anymore, kind of like the Catholic Church. Nobody does Latin, so they'll have an English version of the Bible. 
The Septuagint was 70 scholars came together around 300 BC and transcribed the Jewish Bible into Greek. And the beginning of the Bible, Genesis in the Septuagint, is verbatim what John writes down here. So it's no accident. He's calling back to that Genesis 1-1 account in the beginning. Of course, we know from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Another humongous claim right at the very beginning. Genesis um, being the, the doorway into the rest of the Bible, the opening, the introduction, right? The first thing you get to when you go to the Bible, Genesis 1-1, boom, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the copy, the words that were used by John, the same as in the Septuagint, the word in the beginning was the word, there's a word called logos. It's a Greek word that the Jews understood as meaning deity, God. The Greeks understood that. Actually, I've got the definition here. Greek word logos, it means word, reason, plan. In Greek philosophy, the divine reason or logos is implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. So for the Greek philosopher, it was that entity, that thing that was the order and at the beginning that, that uh, defined everything. So basically, it's a deity. So when John wrote this down in the beginning, and he says the word, that's logos, that's God. And he wrote that for Greeks and the Hebrews to understand what he was talking about. In the beginning, there was God. Now, like I said, it's something that gives form and order and meaning. In the beginning was the word, or logos, and this logos was God, was with God, and this word, the logos, was God. So John is being perfectly clear from the onset that this logos, this word, is deity. It's not a God. It's not some separate thing aside from God. It is deity. Logos with God can sound sort of confusing, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So, okay, maybe it sounds like it's a, it's a separate entity, or it's, a, you know, there's a little G God and a big G God, or, or perhaps two gods. That's, that's not what he's saying, and he clarifies that up pretty good. Now, if we go to another text, Proverbs chapter 8, I want to read uh, verses 23 through 30 out of Proverbs, because this sort of demonstrates how Hebrew writing sometimes occurs this first part of the book of John is actually poetic. It's a poem. Uh, the second part gets into the uh, miracles and the life of the things Jesus did. And then the last part of the book, the, the bigger piece, is really focused in on the last few days of Jesus' life when he goes to the cross, is murdered, and, and is resurrected. But this first part, uh, John is writing in a Hebrew poetic verse. And like I said, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 23 through 30, we speak of wisdom. So wisdom is being personified in the eighth, eighth proverb. And this will also sound very familiar, this passage, I think, from what we're studying today. But if we're talking about wisdom being with God. We know that wisdom is actually an attribute of God, right? Not separated from God, not other than God, but it's an attribute of God not removed from God, but rather a personification, as we see in this chapter 8, of God's attributes, of God's instruction and his action. But we see it in Proverbs and we see it in the first John where poetically it's with God, but really it's the personification of who God is. So if you can, come with me to Proverbs chapter 8, verses 23 through 30. 
And here we speak of, and if you go back to the beginning of this whole proverb, it's great. It, it's talking about wisdom. Wisdom's with God. This is wisdom personified. Verse 23, I have been established from everlasting, once again speaking of wisdom, from the beginning before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned a limit to the sea so that the waters could not transgress his command, when he marked out the fountains of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. So in John, the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And here we see wisdom with God. And this, hopefully this verse kind of rings familiar, right? Who is the, 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 the object of Proverbs 8? It's wisdom, but who are we talking about here? This is a looking forward, actually looking back, at Jesus Christ, the creator, was with God. Personified as wisdom here. So we can say that wrongly, that there's God and then there's wisdom totally separated from God that was with God. No, no, no. Wisdom is an attribute of God. Jesus Christ is clearly put here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and we see that in Proverbs 8, and the Word was God. So here Jesus, 100% deity, 100% God. So that the Trinity is still somewhat mysterious to us, to me, right? There are times when I think, I've got it, I grasp it, I understand it fully, and then poof, it goes away. I'm like, no, I don't got it. I don't got it. But here we see just a little glimpse. It's Jesus. As he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is absolutely God. So a main point today to take away is Jesus is God, first and foremost. Here we got John 1, 1, hearkening back to Revelation, excuse me, hearkening back to Revelation. We'll get that later. Hearkening back to Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus. Sometimes we think about Jesus being born, a little baby, and that's when he started. No, that's when he came to earth as a man. He's always been because he's God, absolutely. Now, when we read this, I'll go back a little bit. In the beginning was the Word, okay, the Logos, and the Word was with God. Once again, not two gods, not big God, little God, not two entities but Jesus and God is God. Further clarified, and the word was God. So Jesus is God. And also like the Genesis 1-1 account, this declaration demands, absolutely demands a decision. Absolutely. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is 180 degrees opposite of what the world teaches us. Because the world says in the beginning, anything but God. Absolutely anything but God. As a matter of fact, we'll make up so much ridiculous garbage that makes no sense, that has no data behind it, that has no proof, and yet we'll just say it's because of deep time and things we don't understand yet, but by golly, it's not God. Now, God might make the most sense, but it can't be because it just can't be. That just, that just means that I have to be morally accountable for what my life is like, and I not God. In the beginning, God, 
or in the beginning, nothing. Now, now indulge me for just a moment. Um, kind of a nerd, trained as a mechanical engineer. I like the sciencey stuff, but I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I just want to present something to you. So the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And that's where I stand. And actually, that makes the most sense to me. The world says, in the beginning, okay, anything but God. So what could it have been? So first, science tried to say, the universe has always been. It's, it's perpetually in the future. Maybe it'll end and restart, but also perpetually in the past. Now, that poses some major, major problems, like it doesn't make sense. Number one, if we look at the discoveries of Hubble and Vilenkin and these really smart guys, astrophysicists, and we look at the universe, there's this thing called the redshift. I'm not going to bore you with it, but basically it means that the stars are they're expanding outwards. And I'm not a proponent of the Big Bang, like there was nothing and everything blew up or whatever. But, but what that does show is everything's expanding in the universe. Therefore, it all started at, at a spot. But now that doesn't mean that there was nothing and then it exploded for no reason. But what it means is, and what the scientists have come up with today, is there was absolutely a beginning of time. There, and this won't make sense to say that there was a time before time, because if you're before something, it means time, but we won't get into all that. There was absolutely nothing. In the physical realm, there was no physical realm. And the concept of nothing, I talk about a lot with the youth because it's, it's such a simple and complex thing at the same time. Because people like to think, well, there was nothing. There was just empty space. Nope. Empty space is something. There was nothing. Well, it was just darkness. No. There's not even darkness. There was nothing. The best way I can think to describe of, and I think um, one of you here, have, I've actually heard this guy talk, this fella, uh, Dr. Kent Hoven, he's a, a creationist. And he actually gave the best definition of nothing I've ever heard. And a lot of you have heard this before. But I want you to picture a rock, okay? Now, just picture this rock. Now, last Tuesday night, the dream that that rock had, that's nothing. It doesn't exist, right? It's not empty space. It's not dark. It doesn't exist. So nothing is kind of this concept that it's hard to wrap our heads around. It's like infinity. It's like the, the other side of infinity. Absolutely nothing. So if we think of if there is empty space, if there is matter, if there is a universe, there has to be time. So if there was always matter and universe, there always was time. But that's a physical impossibility because of a thing, and I'll get nerdy for just a second, uh, infinite regression, okay? We can kind of picture time as moving forward. Now, now people to explain away God have talked about time being in a circle and multiverses and all these things that are not observable and have no proof behind them, but they're there just to say, well, it has to be this because there's no God. But let me explain this for a second. So here we are today, August 1st, 2021, and we can kind of picture in our heads time marching on to infinity. It just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. We're just never going to reach the end. There's just always going to be another tomorrow, right? We're not going to reach that ultimate infinite end because there is no end. There's always another tomorrow and always the next week. Right? When we're, when we're in glory with the Lord, there's going to be another day and another day and another day. It's fantastic. It goes on forever. So we understand that we can't go out to the end of time and come back because there, there's always another day past it. You'll never get there. Now let's reverse that to the past. If the past had always been, there's no way we could actually go all the way back to that beginning because there is no beginning and come to now. Just like we can't go to the, all the way out to the future. An infinite regression in the past is possible, and scientists understand this, and it's a real pickle to them because that means no time, no matter, no space. There was nothing. Now, what does nothing do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
Yet, the best explanation I've heard, aside from the Bible, is that this nothing, for no reason, because there is no reason, there's nothing, exploded from chaos and formed order for no reason. Now, explain to me how nothing can do anything, let alone create all this. So, it makes absolutely zero, zero sense for that to happen. It's, in my mind, complete insanity. We'll get into Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 and it explains that a little bit, the mindset. But it's just craziness. But why do people believe that? Why would we say in the beginning, nothing, had to be nothing, and it created everything? That, I mean, it's, it blows my mind. Now, now, granted, I understand that there is a blindness that happens when people's eyes are not open. You close your eyes, you can't see. And the light of the truth of the word will open your eyes. And I pray that everybody will have that light and open their eyes and just see the insanity that the world gives us. It's garbage. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. So there's Genesis 1-1, just this doorway to the Bible, this introduction. says, in the beginning, God. And that, and that demands, like I said, that demands a decision immediately. Just like John 1-1, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, there's Jesus Christ, and we'll explain that He created everything. Are you there, or are you not there? Do you believe it? Do you not believe it? Because if you don't get that first part, the rest of it's kind of a pickle. And I read about Joshua's long day. I read about Jonah being swallowed by a fish. And I read about these things, this donkey talking, right? Like, that's kind of some weird stuff. But when you go to the beginning and say, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We talk about miracles, right? Miracles happening. How about there was absolutely nothing in the physical realm, just God in his spiritual realm outside of the physical universe spoke everything into existence. That's pretty miraculous. That is awesome. And there we go, a first miracle. If God can do that, what can't he do? Can he do some of the things in the Bible that sound pretty hard, like sustain the nation of Israel for millennia when they've been scattered across the world? In his word, he said, they're going to come back together as a nation. What if we said, all right, Jigasites, Amorites, whatever, all the ites, we're going to give you a nation. You know, you can have half of South Carolina, and we're just going to give it to you. Come on. They're not coming from anywhere because they don't know where they are. Nobody knows who they are. Same thing happened to the Israelites scattered around the world for thousands of years. 1948, here's a nation. They came back. You know why? Because God kept them together. Sounds impossible. The word said it was going to happen, and by golly, it did. Now we have a nation of Israel. Again, fulfillment of prophecy. There's nothing God can't do. He can give us his word. He can create the universe. So there's nothing that should go on in our lives where we say, well, that's a little beyond God. I know he spoke everything into existence, but I don't know if he's got this one. So just know this. Jesus is God, and he's got it. And as Joey mentioned earlier, and he's not out to get you every time you do something wrong. He's there with open arms say, I got you. I got you. Genesis 1-1. It should sound familiar like John 1-1 because it's on purpose. He was in the beginning and he made everything. Now, I'm done being nerdy for a little bit, but I, I, just, I just have to get off my chest how strong word. Stupid. The explanations outside of the Bible that I've heard are. And, and if, if, if evolution or the fossil record or biology or, or whatever it is, if that's one of your hangups, 
to not coming to see the full truth of the Bible, please talk to me. I've had all those questions. Like I said, as an engineer, I work with some really smart people. And uh, a lot of these people, well, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Like the, the theory of evolution that this just preached as truth. So many smart people believe in evolution. And here's why I 100% believe that they do. They believe it not because of facts, not because of reason, but they believe it because other smart people believe it. And since other smart people believe it, it's probably true, so I'll just go in line. You start giving them facts and evidence, and whoa, whoa, that's totally changing my worldview. That's a paradigm shift. That doesn't make sense. But it does, but it can't be because smart people believe this. So if, if, if some of this apologetic stuff is your hang-up, I would love to talk to you. Not yell. I'm not going to argue. I'm not, you don't want to argue about anybody in the kingdom of heaven. But it, it's got to be a hang-up for some people because for me, I had questions too. I had questions that I was like, that's a tough one. You know, wow, I can see starlight billions of light years away. That should have taken that light billions of light years to get here. But if the earth is only 6,000 years old, how did that happen? You know, there's actually scientific good explanations for that. If you look at the Genesis account and how he created things, it actually makes perfect sense when you understand time, gravity, and how that stuff works. It's, it's really cool stuff. Some of it's over my head, but um, I'm just saying, if there's any hang-up anybody has for that, talk to me. I love talking about this stuff. And I'm not going to get mad about it or anything. We'll just talk. It's, it's actually really, there's always answers. This is the Word of God, and I've always found it true that when I have that question, and the questions that I had earlier on in my faith were, were questions that were like, ooh, this is a big one. You know, if I don't get this one answered, I don't know if I can believe this stuff. And so part of me is like, I don't even want to search the answer because I'm afraid of what I'm going to find. And then I go search the answer, and it lines up with the Word of God every time. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. So now I love it. I love when the questions come up, and I'm like, whoa, I don't know the answer to that, and I search it out. A little bit of an aside, not really part of the lesson today, but don't let that be a hang-up for you. Search the answers. Talk to me. Talk to someone. I love this First Peter uh, 3.15 apologetic stuff, right? Get together and reason. It's great. And this is the only religion that I know of, too, where God says, hey, let us reason together. Use your brain. Think about it. Question it. Find the answers because God's not afraid of his word. He knows it'll stand. Moving on. All right, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is God, and He made everything. Or in the beginning was nothing, and nothing did something, which is totally ridiculous. Now, like I said, this demands a decision. Are you on the camp of in the beginning God, or in the beginning something other than God? Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Romans is definitely one of my favorite books. That's one of these books that I've read a lot, and each time it's just more highlighting, more highlighting. There's just, that's just such a great book. Maybe we should do that one next. Romans chapter 1, verses 20. Here, Paul, speaking to the Romans, is explaining to them that, of course, Jesus Christ is the creator of everything, and it's obvious. And those that don't believe in God are, are missing it because they don't want it. Verse 20. In chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, his, God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Saying since everything was created, it's right there for us to see, and if you don't see God in it, it's not God's fault. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were we thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. I am so wise, I can tell you that nothing made everything. That is foolish. 
is absolute foolishness. This first passage demands a decision. And like I said, I wish I had more time to get all nerdy about fossil records and biology and physics and stuff like that. We don't have time for that. But I can tell you 100%, the word of God is 100% true, 100% of the time. Absolutely no question about that. Absolutely. All right, moving on to verse (laughs) 2. Now, he was in the beginning with God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now the word becomes a he, a him. You have this personality. It's a person, right? The inanimate sounding in the beginning was the word. Now we have, it's a person. This word, this God, became a person. And he's the light in the darkness. He's a beacon in the world, and the world didn't understand him. And now as we, as we move throughout the book of John, an introduction, we'll see this play out big time. John, the Baptist, who we'll get introduced here in just a minute, is paving the way for the light. And he sees Jesus Christ, and, and he is the light of the world. He's the light of men. And he steps into the darkness, and he's a beacon to the world. But the world doesn't quite understand him. They don't comprehend him. They don't apprehend him. They don't get it. And major theme through the book of John, which we will definitely get into more. This is, this is such a great book. All right. Now we get into John's witness in uh, verses 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, okay, so we've got John the Apostle, which is writing this book. Now, John the Baptist is who he's talking about. John the Baptist is the son of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's uh, camel hair, eating locusts and honey, that guy, right? Paving the way for Jesus Christ, saying, make his path straight. Make way the, the, for the Lord. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Repent, the Lord is on his way. John the Baptist is the one paving the way. John the Apostle, not to get confused, is the one writing the book. Lots of Johns. There's a lot of different possibilities of who this is. John the Apostle writes the book. Now, John the Apostle, he is brother of James. Remember James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Bow Energies. Remember his other nickname that Jesus gave him? Sons of Thunder. Right. John the Apostle, sons of Thunder, got a name from Jesus Christ because he's kind of a roughneck with a big mouth. And that gives me some, uh, some happiness because somebody like John, who's you know, a fisherman with James, with their father Zebedee, uh, partner with Peter and Andrew, these aren't quaint men. They're some rough guys. So much so that the Lord gave James and John the names Sons of Thunder because when they were uh, coming out of a village in Samaria, or that village did not really respond well to Jesus. And so John says, hey, Jesus, how about we call down fire on that village? Why don't we nuke them? And Jesus says, you don't know what manner spirit you're speaking right now. That's not my thing right now. I've come to save people. So here's John, who also was known as the apostle of love. Yes. Here, John, the apostle of love. Can we just nuke that village, Jesus? Jesus took this guy and just changed him. He spent some time with him in his ministry and just changed him. So John the apostle 
son of Zebedee, sons of thunder with him and James. That's the John who's writing the book. The John that we're talking about here, paving the way, is John the Baptist. Just wanted to clarify that. Now, how do we know that John wrote this book? Now, there's a fella by the name of Arrhenius. He was born in the 2nd century, about 115, 125 A.D. He said so. But he was a student of Polycarp, which probably many of you have heard of old, uh, from back of the original church, church father Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Apostle. So Arrhenius actually wrote down, John wrote this book. Polycarp told me, John told Polycarp. Polycarp was with John probably when he wrote it. So pretty, pretty good uh, evidence there that this is John the Apostle because he never introduces himself. Like sometimes Paul in his writings, he, me, Paul, uh, or, or Peter will introduce himself. John doesn't introduce himself. He does call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I think is really cool. I mean, some people could think of that as sort of arrogant, but I think of it as more confident. He understood, even though he is the son of thunder, Jesus loved him. And he identified with the love of Jesus so much that he named himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I just think that's great. So, <clears throat> John the apostle wrote of John the Baptist, paving the way for Jesus Christ. We move on here to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Once again, that capital H, Jesus Christ. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, we only really have time to give an introduction here because that's what this first part of the book is, really. It's an introduction to this wonderful journey we're about to take into the book of John. But in, in all this will play out in, in subsequent chapters, but we see that Jesus, God, came down to the earth as a man to identify with his people and draw his people to him. And his people did not comprehend him, didn't understand him, and they rejected him. But those that didn't actually had given the right to become children of God. So think of God, the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He ordered everything. Who was perfectly complete, satisfied, happy, fulfilled, on his own, without us. Loved us so much that he comes down to the earth to identify with us. That is just an amazing, amazing thought. That the fact that the God of the universe would do that for us. And here... We see that when Jesus came, he wasn't embraced by the nation of Israel. He was rejected. And we'll see that, like I said, through uh, subsequent chapters here in uh, the book of John. But those that receive him are rightfully children of God, sons and daughters of the king. I mean, part of the royal family. That's you and me. Not, not distant relatives, but children of the king. That's something that we should be really, really happy about. Heirs to the throne. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Now, moving on, it says, not being born of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of God, a uh, will of man, but of God, born of the Spirit. He's saying we're all born of physically, right? But the children of God, it's, that, it's something beyond that physical birth. It's the rebirth. We'll get to that in John chapter 3, being born again. But... Then we look at what comes next in uh, verse 14. Come with me to 1 Kings chapter 8. Now, 1 Kings, 
Well, once again, another great book. Solomon is dedicating the temple. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And this is, of course, David, his father, has come up with the money and the wherewithal and the means to build it, but he wasn't the one to build the temple. Solomon is. Solomon has made sure that it's happened, and the temple was built. And in his dedication to the temple, which is what we'll read part of here, the very interesting, interesting thing happens. Solomon read, uh, in, in verse 24, 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 24. You have kept what you promised, your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand, as it is this day. And that's what God does. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised, your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. And then King Solomon asks a very interesting and honest question. He's dedicating the temple for the Lord to tabernacle with him, to dwell with him. And he asks, but will in God indeed dwell on the earth? What an honest question. He's built the temple. God's kept all his promises. And he asks, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple, which I have built. And John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Solomon was wondering, if I build this temple, is God really going to dwell with us? Is he really going to dwell with us? That came to complete fulfillment with Jesus Christ when he came and tabernacled, when dwelt with his people. In the beginning, God God loved you so much, he came as a man to relate to us, to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us, to show us the way. And that's quite an introduction I think John gives us to this book, this, this gospel account, this amazing, amazing narrative that he gives, that Jesus is God, no question. He came and he dwelt with us, and John says, and I beheld his glory. You know, I was with him. I walked with him. We talked. We, I, I put my head on his, on his breast. We, we laughed together. I knew him. And he writes all of this for a reason. And if we go to John chapter 20, verses 31, this is the reason John wrote all this. Now, we've just done an introduction. We haven't dug deep into it because of time, and there's a whole book in front of us. But what we see in this book is an account of what Jesus does, the miracles that he performs, the, the wonderful works that he does, him uh, relating to people, relating to the apostles, um, going through life. Uh, and one of my favorite in the, in the whole book is in the upper room, washing the disciples' feet and, and the transformation that happens of Peter's life and the apostles through what Jesus is doing. And all of this he writes so that, as he writes in John 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So through this introduction and through this whole book, the Holy Spirit demands a decision. In the beginning, is it God or is it nothing? You know, am I gonna rely on my own wits for my soul's safety or am I gonna surrender that to Jesus Christ, the one that made it? 
this is going to be a great, wonderful study through the book of John. And uh, I personally invite everyone to meet Jesus. Now, whether you are someone that walks with Jesus daily and have a wonderful relationship with him, what a great opportunity to now, through this study, get to know him on a more personal level, get to know him a deeper way, or, or whether you've wandered off a little bit, just get closer and strengthen that relationship. Or perhaps you don't know him. You don't know Jesus. And like I said, this is a wonderful book for new believers, but it's also a wonderful book for those to get to know Jesus and understand who he is, why he did what he did, and why he continues to do the things he does. And maybe this book will help you get introduced to him and answer that call that's on your heart to surrender your life to him. Because I had that call. I remember when I didn't know him and I was introduced to him and there was that tugging on my heart that says, you need Jesus. You need him now. This is a great opportunity. Right now, this very second is a great opportunity. But throughout this study, to get to know Jesus a little bit better. That conviction that you feel in your heart, you know, to walk away from that darkness and to, to walk into the light. This is a great, great introduction into him. And I think of John, as we mentioned, son of Zebedee, son of thunder, right? A roughneck. You know, he wanted to call down fire on that village in Samaria. And uh, just because of their opposition. And, and look what happened to John. You know, he writes this, he writes three epistles. He writes the book of Revelation. And especially through the epistles, like I mentioned, he's known as the disciple of, or the apostle of love. And from a roughneck fisherman wanting to call down fire on people that gave him some opposition to being called the apostle of love, that's, that's really awesome. And also John's able to call himself the apostle whom Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. And I mentioned before, that's, that's not an arrogance. I mean, it, does, it, does, it can sound kind of arrogant. Well, I'm the uh, disciple that Jesus loved. But I think it's rather a confident assertion that John knows what a knucklehead he is, yet he's still the apostle, the disciple that Jesus loved. And guess what? You're the disciple that Jesus loves. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And to have the confidence to say that is not confidence in myself and the things I've done and my wonderful works. It's a confidence in the fact that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and actually loves me enough to call me a son of God. I, that's just amazing and fantastic. He met, John met Jesus, and Jesus completely changed him. I, that's my invitation to everyone, meet Jesus throughout this study. Dive into it and let him change you. And, and that's, that's definitely what he wants to do with every one of us, is to make him a little bit more like him. You know, I can say that I follow Jesus, but if I don't follow Jesus, I don't. It's kind of like saying I've got a workout regiment that I'm going to follow. I'm going to go follow this regiment and get in shape. Well, if I don't do the workout, if I don't follow the regiment, am I a follower of that regiment? No. To say you're a follower of Jesus means you follow Jesus. And I invite you to do just that. It's a life-changing, life-changing thing. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much once again for your word, for the truth in your word, for the clarity in your word. I thank you for the fact that even though you are complete and whole, fulfilled on your own, lacking nothing, perfect, even so, 
You look at us and you love us and you take action so that we can be with you forever. Lord, I thank you so much for the fact that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, the word, the logos, the mighty God, the creator to this earth to walk with us, to show us the way. And Father, I thank you so much that you speak to us today through his words and your Bible and that they are clear and that you make the way for us to get to know you very clear, very apparent. Lord, I just thank you for the fact that you're not a God that just set things in motion and just led us on our own because we can't do it on our own. We, we don't have the power. We don't have the ability. We're sinful people. We, we mess up. And, and your standard is absolute perfection, and we don't meet it. But God, you know that, and you care for us, so you paid the price for us through Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much for that. And Lord, I pray that those of us who, who, who follow you daily and, and love you and, and read your word and, and just long to be with you, Lord, I pray that you just draw us closer to you. Lord, those of us that are wandered off a bit, Lord, I pray you just pull us in and give us that hug that says, I still love you. I just want you to come back. And Lord, for those of us that just don't know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit tugs on our hearts, lets us know we need to step out of the darkness and into your life, into your living water. Lord, I pray that there's a boldness that we have to live for you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that, that does not know you, that today is the day of salvation, that they will stand and receive you today. Lord, thank you once again for your word. Thank you once again for your son, your spirit. And Lord, thank you for just being the God that you say you are. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.